0: Hello everyone and welcome to Fruitful Conversations. It makes me super happy to introduce today's guest. Michael Weir is hard to define by career because he's kind of anything he wants to be. A businessman, a musician, a mentor, a storyteller, a leader of hip-hop workshops, a producer, an artist, a writer. Above all, he's a proud Wiradjuri man and everything he does is designed to honour his heritage, to share and to educate people and inspire the next generation of Indigenous creatives. We talked about his youth and his life, uh, fatherhood, and how and why he dedicates so much time to young Indigenous people. We talked about his clothing brand, Sacred Era, and he shared information on Aboriginal kinship and skin names. I even got him to give us a few beats from one of his originals, Black Anzac. I've met Michael before... (laughs) But at the end of our short time together, and even listening back through the edit, I have to say I was left feeling humbled and inspired. I hope you did too. Enjoy the beautiful Michael Weir. Hello, Michael, and welcome to Fruitful Conversations.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It is a great pleasure. I'm very much looking forward to to having a chat. So first up, tell me how'd you get the nickname Wiz?
1: <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so that was just a football thing, I think, back in my football days. You know, it's just kind of like you're, you're, everyone's got to have a nickname and people used to call me wizard and I hated it. I still don't like it. <laughs> and then it just yeah. changed to Whiz because it's not good, you know what I mean? is whiz. not good, mate. <laughs> no, it's not good. And it's stuck. It's somehow stuck. Right. And it's been with me ever since.
0: Okay, so... Let's say it just refers to the fact that you're a wizard, you know? Yeah, that's yeah, what that's we kind thing,
1: of right? say. I don't know. we well, it used to be weary. Michael Weir, people used to call me weary, which is kind of like he's always tired. Yeah. And then someone just started calling me whiz, wiz, Hey, Wizard. <laughs> <laughs> and I hated it.
0: <laughs> that's Aussies for you, right? It's
1: such an Aussie thing. You know? <laughs> it is. Yeah.
0: It is indeed. Hey, um. so where did you grow up?
1: I grew up um, on not and Ambry country down in Queanbeyan, uh, which is just on the border of Canberra and New South Wales. So mainly Canberra area is where I grew up. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was that like? Tell me yeah. about life in um, young Michael Wears.
1: No, it was good. We had, a. I reckon we had a decent um, uh, upbringing in our neighborhood. Just everybody knew each other. We we're all pretty safe. You know, all the kids, we, we were never home. We'd... Be at the footy oval every day, pretty much, or someone you know somewhere else running amuck. Um, yeah, if it was raining, we'd still be. That would be even more incentive to go to the oval and play in the rain, playing footy, forever um, kicking a footy around or down in the river. There's a river close by, and we'd be swinging off the ropes into the trees or jumping out of the trees into the river, and or even if it rained, which is I don't encourage everyone to do, we would um, go up to the river and hit the rapids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right as yeah. you do, yeah. So, well, it yeah, sounds it pretty good. idyllic. Did you? Um, was that the country you were born on? Did you grow up on country?
1: I grew up on, um, as I said, not only Ambry country, but I'm a Wiradjuri lad, so I'm a uh, proud Wiradjuri man. My family come from the central west region of New South Wales, a um, little small country town called Peak Hill. Yeah.
0: So does that uh, make a difference? Do you grow up with the same um, cultural values growing up on different country?
1: I think you still would have the same uh, cultural values, well, my experience, you know, of course, but I think it does limit you in in the sense that you don't have access to your cultural practices as much. Although, um, fortunate enough that Wiradjuri and not only every country are sort of neighbouring, so we have a tight connection and relationship with those mob, and we would um, practice ceremony with those followers, we have big ceremonies with those followers as well. But, yeah, it's definitely not the same as being home on country and where you're able to almost on a weekly basis or a daily basis perhaps learn about what the name is for a particular bird or when you see this, it means that, you know. Um, so that that's kind of tough
0: for mm. sure. Mm. So I know you spend a lot of your time um, mentoring um, Indigenous Youth and running hip hop camps and things. What were you like as a teenager and a young man?
1: I think I was like most kids. Like, you know, we, in some ways, the neighborhood that you grow up in shapes you as a person. You know, you only know what you know. And so, Queanbeyan was very much um, sports driven when I was young. Everybody played sports, and that's the path that I kind of went into. And you kind of have the blinkers on a little bit and you're not aware of other options in life. And, um, unfortunately I've seen a lot of my mates go down a bad path that I almost went down to myself, I guess. And, um, and now they're all, you know, unfortunately, um, in and out of incarceration, dealing with mental health and, um, traumas, their own traumas and substance abuse. And it's pretty sad. Like when we were young, we were just young brothers. We all just had each other's back and just played like any other cheeky boys running around the neighborhood. And, um... It's just sad to see them in that position. So that means a lot to me in trying to help other young people um, find a different path.
0: So yeah. how did you avoid that trap?
1: Football a lot well, it definitely made a big difference. Just and it's I know of footy by the way. I played rugby league. Yeah, yeah. And I know like a lot of boys play rugby league, but um, I was pretty committed to. You know, I wasn't the best player, but I, I just trained really hard. And there was other things, you know, it just was like the investment that some people made in me, for, whether it was through school or some sporting opportunities that were given to me. And um, those things really impacted me and I realized that it's just the time. You just got to give young people the time, make them feel loved and, 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 and cared about. And I'm not saying that they don't have this some of these people, but it's good to always – you can't have enough people in your life that show you affection or, or, or support and the guidance. You know, a lot of our people um, – you know, we don't always have the examples that we need yeah. in, in, you know, like we don't necessarily always have someone who's a CEO of a business in all our families, you know, that's we don't right. have that. Well, same here. Yeah, of course. <laughs> same for our mob. And, and so um, it's just when they see someone achieve it, then they know, if you're from their neighborhood and you, you achieve these things, it's kind of like, oh, I know yeah. that guy; guy's just like me. So that's kind of the path that I try to take. Anything that's kind of like if someone says, "Oh, that's too hard," I'm like, "I'm I'm going to try and do that." <laughs> yeah, because there really is is other bit. I just find myself to be the same as any any person really. So. You like to
0: rise to a challenge though. I mean, you know, you've got yeah. you've got five kids, you're a musician, you run a business, yeah. you've just finished a degree in songwriting and sound production, is it? Now you're yeah. doing a master's in creative industry. What do you do in your spare time, Wiz?
1: There's not much spare time. <laughs> uh, I try to look after my kids and keep them busy. Um, yeah. Yeah, no spare time. Not- what's,
0: um, what's the best thing about fatherhood?
1: I don't know when I was when we were younger. There's so much, really. I think that there's always someone there um, that loves you. You know, like you when you pick up. i go home today and pick up my youngest daughter, who's only she turns three this year, and she'll um, just be all she'll run to the door and give me. So it doesn't matter what kind of day I have here in the studio when I go to pick up my daughter. All of that immediately disappears.
0: What's the hardest thing about being a dad?
1: Is I think the hardest thing is. Guiding them through life and making you don't you're not always sure because there's no manual, and um, you sort of follow what your parents have done that you liked particularly, or that others in your life might have done that you've seen, you've observed through others. But um, you're never confident. Am I doing the right thing here (laughs) in the long run? But I think if you have the right intentions and you know what can you do?
0: It sounds cliched, but it's kind of. You just do your best, you know. I'm out the other end. Absolutely. My sons are men. Um, I did some really good stuff and I made some really bad mistakes. Um, yeah. But you just you just give it your best shot. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest thing. Um, for me, the hardest thing is not jumping in and going, here, I can do it. <laughs> I can do I'll do that interview for you. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'll do that
0: assignment yeah, for you.
1: that is really hard. You have to kind of yeah. allow them to go they have to through make life no and mistakes. Make, make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've got some older kids, you know, like uh, 18, 19. Is that your oldest boy? um, Joy, he's he's 18, yeah, Yeah, Joy. Yeah. (laughs) Shout out to (laughs) Joy.
0: Now you've got to say them all in case they listen. Yeah, yeah. So we know Winnie's the little one.
1: Yeah, Winifred or Freddie as I call it. Freddie, that's a great name, yeah. And um, Essie and Delilah and Ella is our oldest daughter. Nice. They're all doing pretty good, but I feel like even with our older our older kids, we we're kind of rookies at parenting. And then, so but
0: well, you were probably children yourself.
1: Yeah, I was pretty young. I still probably hadn't matured. I'm still maturing. You know what I mean? We like, all I can are. still ain't? learn a lot <laughs> as you get older. Yep. And so I feel like the second time around for these other kids, we're a bit um, a bit more prepared. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And understand the whole parenting thing a little more.
0: A little more, yeah. I don't think I, I don't think we ever we ever quite get it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, you you mentor, and you're you've been in Aboriginal leadership and mentoring a long time, and you mentor so many so many kids. Who's mentored you? Who's had an impact in your life?
1: Well, it's been different all throughout my life. There's been a number of people. You know, at school there was an Aboriginal education assistant who really invested a lot of time in my life and just helped me believe in myself when I doubted things. That she was like, nah you can do this, there's no reason why you can't do this. You'll do this, no worries, I'm signing you up. And she would just push me a bit more. And then for sports as well, you know, there was a guy called um, <laughs> Tom Evans who I have to give a lot of credit to because they gave me an opportunity to play in this rugby union team and we travelled a bit and got me out of my neighbourhood and we all met, we all went to sort of Sydney to trial and or to play in and or be in a camp mm-hmm. and it was a bunch of Koori lads from all over New South Wales. It was the first time I'd really been in this awesome, inspirational, positive environment with other Koori kids and um, completely changed my life. We would go and play and represent our people um, our community, and that meant so much to us in terms of developing our sense of pride our, in our identity.
0: Sure. So that was a First Nations team, like a whole, yeah. wow.
1: Yeah, and that kind of just really made me realise who I am and what I represent. And over time, I have built on that. I didn't quite understand it the way I do now, yeah. but I built on that. And I think if you have a strong sense of who you are and what you represent, it helps you make decisions in life.
0: Oh, absolutely. Mm. And it's a life journey for many of us. I mean, who uh, trying to find our meaning and our place in the world. Yeah. Um, and for you to find that at a relatively young age yeah. would give you such purpose.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah.
0: So was that when you, uh, like the work that you do, um, which is all around either supporting um, Indigenous youth um, and helping um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islanders or educating allies. Was all mm. of that, was that um, sort of a light bulb moment for you when you did this footy tour or was it a gradual journey?
1: It's been a really gradual journey that always I kind of see it as signposts, all these things were kind of directing me in this path, whether I knew they were there or not. Mm. I, I, got, I kind of got asked to leave my school. my, high, my <laughs> That's a bit school. rude. Yeah. Why was that? Uh, I played up real bad in agriculture and they kicked me out of that. And How?
0: They, what did you do?
1: I don't know. I, I just a mark. bad kid. I was a bit know, cheeky. Yeah. I was always respectful, but I think I just pushed it too far this time. and So they kicked me out of that and I, was, I got kicked out of math, maths as well. And that meant I couldn't complete because I had to repeat Yeah. to get those two units. And anyway, I ended up getting a, a job back in my own school. The Aboriginal education assistant said, we, we need someone to um, just sit in classes with these kids and we think you'd be great. And I said, me? Are you serious? Yeah, great. But that just opened my eyes to how you, the impact that you can have on a young person and that they actually need people like that mm. because a lot of the times the teachers in the school are completely unaware of the environment that these kids are growing up in and their, their expectations of them at times is just bizarre You know, because not every kid has the same structure, you know, they're going to bed at 8.30 at night time. Some of these kids have got two families, two two Mm. or three families living in their house, you know, and so it's it's a lot harder.
0: I read that um, Labor had promised us, um, promised, I think it was $14 million to put, I think, I think I'm think i remembering this correctly, um, First Nations educators full-time mm-hmm. in 60 different schools. Yeah. And from what you're saying, it sounds like this is essential. It almost seems that 60 is not enough. Oh, my
1: God. It's like... I can't well, believe we're not there already. Yeah. You I know, mean, it's f-
0: 2022, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm.
0: So, but from what you're saying, this is a really key thing to have an understanding of how a lot of kids are growing up not in the same sort of circumstances.
1: And just being able to relate to them, like... I pick these. I'd go and pick these kids up, and I speak their language, whatever that is. And mm. I'd be like, "Hey, bro, you know, if you, I'd actually go up, because uh, some of them my even my little cousins and my mates' little brothers." And I go, "But if you don't come to school today, I'm not getting paid, so you are coming. <laughs> and they'd yeah. giggle, and we'd go and just hang out, and um, you know, just being understanding of what's happening at home at the time, whatever you know, difficulties they're facing, you know, hardships and stuff. A lot, a lot of which I know a lot of people. Experience, But if you look at all the statistics, you know, um, we are poorly represented in all of them. Certainly are. So it's no doubt that we have a lot of struggles to still overcome, you know. Mm. That well,
0: you know, we didn't have – I mean, my generation, and in fact generations before me and heaps underneath me, had zero education yeah. on um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history yeah. in this country. And it's – I think – a lot of us are shocked when we start to find out how much we didn't know. Mm. But you, um, this is what I love. Actually, I met I met you when I bought some of your t-shirts through your business sacred yeah, era. Right. <laughs> and this is what I love about your tees. Not only do they look cool, but they're designed to educate. Because each t-shirt, which you, you design yourself, each t-shirt comes with a story, right? So, let's start off, maybe tell us a little bit about Sacred Era and how that got started.
1: Yeah, I was delivering these cultural awareness sessions for the Australian Indigenous Leadership Centre to like um, a bunch of different organisations, Red Cross Australia, the AFL Players Association, government departments, etc. And I realised just as you've mentioned that a lot of people um, haven't been given this knowledge about our history and, our, and with that knowledge it completely changed the way they saw our people and they would almost instantly become an ally or they wanted to do more you know to to support our people and i thought there just wasn't enough um you know i guess platforms for us to have these conversations and so sacred era was kind of born born out of that i was also trying to raise funding for the music workshops that I was de- de- mm. delivering to Aboriginal youth, it's really hard to kind of like, you know, you're applying for grants. I was pretty young, didn't have heaps of experience with that. But usually the grants, and I'm sure anybody who's applied for a grant <laughs> will understand this, the yeah. grant doesn't quite fit what you want to do or the needs of the community. So you have to sort of bend it around a little bit to fit mm. the grant, to get the funding and make sure you, you tick those boxes. And um, yeah, Sacred Era just man, I could do what I wanted.
0: Yeah. So how'd you raise the money for that to start with? If you're raising, because you're raising money for the workshops, is that right?
1: Yeah. So that's a Th- through bit, of, the business. bit of both, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I just, well, I, I started out actually in 2013, very slowly over years and it was on and off type of thing. And then I did a crowdfunding campaign in 2019 and I raised like $40,000, oh, which sweet. was a huge surprise, man, to see so many people in my community back me. I didn't have any money for marketing or anything like that. I just kind of relied on the people I knew and their friends.
0: Yeah, perfect. Mm. That's great. That's awesome. Um, I want to talk about the hip-hop workshops, but I'll stay on the T-shirts. Yeah. Um, I think my favourite, like I said, each comes with a story, and I think my favourite is Black Anzac. Mm -hmm. Um, And for everyone listening, when you buy one of these T-shirts, you get the story with it. That's is, right. You actually get the written story which is awesome. So tell us the story of Aboriginal Gunner Percy Suey.
1: Yeah, so Percy Suey, um he he fought in World War 2 and it was a I use his story to just highlight the broader story of our experience in um, as Anzacs or you know our people have fought in every single conflict that Australia has ever been involved in.
0: And Why do you think that is? Why do you think they kept going back?
1: I don't know. Really? I I well There's a huge assumption that a lot of mob thought it would give them an easier life when they return, you know, that they would finally be accepted in the community or it would change the relationship between Aboriginal Australia and and white Australia, I believe. And also, you know, there were um, pretty difficult times that our people were living in in terms of finances having money. You couldn't necessarily get work. It was a pretty complicated time, so there was an opportunity to sort of even get some money that not everybody received. But, yeah, Percy, he was captured in um, by the Japanese in World War Two and lived through all that, horrendous, horrendous times, and then he returned to Maury. And, um, yeah, he kind of disappeared after an altercation at, um, at the show, the local show, and, and no one really knows to this date what happened to him. And I think it's pretty sad this guy did a lot for our country and we don't even know what happened to him.
0: Didn't he, um, Didn't he, when you told me the story, didn't he, because he looked different, yeah. was able to sneak away into the jungle?
1: Yeah, I'm told that, and I read in, um, I don't know, some articles that I researched. When he was captured, was Yeah, it? when he yeah. was captured, with his darker complexion and his sort of bush knowledge, he was able to sort of sneak into the jungle and get food and... Bring it back to feed the others. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's
0: amazing. And when he came back, um, all soldiers, uh, a lot of returning vets were given land and, and jobs and stuff to get them started again.
1: Yeah, it's common for them to even receive a pension mm-hmm. and, um, and all uh, that kind of stuff. So it was a really difficult time because a lot of our people returned to the missions that they were from or um, – sometimes those missions would be, those parcels of land would be giving to the soldiers through that kind of scheme that you mentioned or they'd um, receive a pension and some families did receive the pension. I have a, a cousin whose grandfather or whatever, um, you know, did receive some, port, some support for their family through that but a lot many didn't and many weren't able to even march and Percy, he was able to march and he was really proud to wear his gear and represent, you know, get up in his army army gear. But he also, I read like a pretty sad moment where on Anzac Day he was, um, his family were asked to wait out the back and they were served food through a window and he kind of sat out the back in tears, you know. It's pretty demoralising and, um, you know, he kind of just, it's a perfect example of how we can be treated in this country as though we're less.
0: And which is why your education through your T-shirts um, yeah. and, and other is so important.
1: Yeah, I think so. If you look mm. around and you look at the statistics and, you know, that kind of paints a very bad image of my people, but I know them, of course, to be different. Yep. And if you understand the history and the layers of trauma from, from since Captain Cook. Since colonisation. Since yeah. all the way through colonisation through to today, then you can probably understand that it's... No surprise that we are in the position statistically that we are, you know. Yeah.
0: So it's probably it's critical, I guess, that we need to get these stories out there and into schools probably. Do you think that's where it's it starts? It's
1: definitely changing. There's, there's a lot more in schools even from when I was younger. You know, I know that on Wiradjuri country, a lot of the schools are learning Wiradjuri language and that automatically gives the non-Indigenous kids a um, great understanding of our culture a culture and um, even some of the historical events, so you know they have an appreciation and understanding right off the bat. Where there are uh, the generations before them, there would have been conflict between my people and their people, and, yeah. and that made that would have made it hard to sort of even have some kind of relationship. And that's definitely all changing.
0: Well, you know, it was wasn't 1960s up to 1967 when the referendum was. Your people were considered flora and fauna. I know, I'm almost embarrassed. I can't even say that. Without feeling feeling sick, so there is no and not sick in a good way, kids sick in a, yeah. a bad way. Um, so there was no possibility of being able to teach that history without recognising what colonisation had done. Yeah. So it's it's a wonderful that there is an opportunity now. Um, Tell me about you. Just came back from Peak Hill, which I is did. your mother's,
1: my mum's, your mum's yeah. country, yep.
0: where you did a hip hop workshop for kids out there. Yeah, tell me how that. Tell me how many workshops runs.
1: Uh, it was amazing. We sort of just did it. I actually raised five thousand dollars for a crowdfunding campaign to get some gear and just pay pay for myself to go out there. And I just stayed with family in that. And um, it's such a small little town, you know. They don't get these types of opportunities, and. Um, I went back and it's like probably about 150 odd students in, in this little hall and there was a core group of us more senior students because they combined primary and, and, and high school and um, we just sort of went through the process of writing a song about what Piquil meant to them and their culture and um, pieced the lyrics through together and then over the week we've recorded it they actually came in on like a people free day like the the teachers were striking so it meant a lot to them and we talked you know the music is really just kind of gets them into the room and then once they're in there I can have these discussions around leadership and sort of getting them to see themselves the way that I see them you know that they're that they're capable of doing anything and we push them a bit to you know at first they're like too scared and shamed to kind of get on the microphone and then at lunchtime they were writing their own raps and coming back or overnight they're write some raps and bring in their book. And I'd say and see, you know, we um, push for our shame and we sh- we talk about, um, you know, like comfort zones and what's outside of that yep. and all these different doors. And when you go through that door, there's another door, and but you, you don't really get out of your comfort zone to see these opportunities. So it was a great example of that. And I met a lot of younger younger cousins um, and I was really proud to be out there. Eh?
0: That's nice. Yeah. That's really nice. Must be nice to give back to... To your own your own people, you yeah, know, was, um, get I've, back. Because I know you live here in Bundjalung country. That's right. That's a, that's, you're a long way from yeah, Wiradjuri land. I am. Mm.
1: Yeah, and it was good because um, for that very reason, like I've done this many times, but, you know, I would have these young kids and I'd say, oh, hands up if you're a reed or this and that, and or if you're related to any of the reeds, and then they'd I'd go home and ask your mum if they know this person and that, and they'd come back, yep, yeah, we're cousins the next day, yep, yeah, we're cousins. <laughs> and they were like, can I get a photo, cousin? Sweet. <laughs> yeah, and the relationship continues long after often, you know, like um I kind of like to take on them. I, I don't really want to call it mentoring, but it's kind of that sort of space where they can still contact me. I have people contacting me now from that sure. workshop about all sorts of things. Yeah, so – it's good
0: it is good and whether you're too modest to sort of admit it or not that those kids when you're long gone will be going I had this guy in my life you know yeah, and he I, really I helped me turn stuff around it's that definitely i think it's work. just
1: it's just what happens and it's the way and i don't know about the non-indigenous community but certainly in our community i even work with some older followers who who are taking on that role now within the community you know and it's just, it just yeah. seems to be the way, like you almost take on a big brother or an uncle type of – Yeah, I think it comes back to if you understand our kinship structures where our mothers well,
0: – Good luck with that. Yeah, it's really different. <laughs> it and is so really complicated, your kinship It can be complex, structure.
1: you know, with skin names and totems and stuff. And so mm. our family, even if it's not blood, our family um, through our kinships and all these, you know, you know um, skin names and totems is a lot bigger outside of our blood family, which is big anyway.
0: (laughs) Which is huge anyway, yeah. Yeah. Can you explain skin names to us?
1: Well, it's difficult for me in the sense that um, a lot of that, I was going to say loss, it's really not the right language, but colonisation really impacted that a lot for my people. And so to practice that, uh, and and for me also, I'm not growing up on on country, it... um, It's not really that strong. And I don't know many people who sort of have that knowledge. But anyway, I understand it from other – looking at other cultures, Aboriginal cultures within Australia. And, you know, so perhaps every generation could be given a skin name and just – we'll just sort of make this up. But Mm -hmm. you could be a snake and I could be a goanna and that can tell you who you can't – you know, maybe snakes can't marry goannas. But it's kind of like all the kids, all the people from that generation that's a goanna – it doesn't have to be going. It could be anything, right?
0: They got it. <laughs> they're
1: all they're, they, they're all sort of related and connected in a way, and they have a responsibility for each other. So that automatically then um, gives you a bigger family to be a part of. And then totems, you can have totems for you know your clan group, uh, for you as an individual, and all those things are also connected, you know. So and you have a relationship and a responsibility to your skin name or to your totem. So you know if if say. The snake, or, or whatever, you know, you you are kind of related or connected to that in that sense, mm. Mm. which is bizarre for for Western world to understand.
0: Yeah, look, I've done a little bit of reading on it, and I know I'm a like I just it is it is it's so layered, Abs- uh, Michael. Absolutely. It's so layered to to try and understand it. How else How else can um, can people learn more about history and culture of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders?
1: Read, I think, you know, the mainstream media really shapes and the education system that we grow up in really shapes our views on this. And so that's definitely not the place to get the information from. Um, But there are a lot of great Indigenous authors and Mm. filmmakers around. And so if you want to hear uh, a blackfella story, make sure you hear it from a blackfella.
0: Yeah, good point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, okay. Go
1: go get it from the mob and not from um, a non-Indigenous source.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay, now you love music yourself, you're a musician. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your music.
1: Yeah, I just got into music, like any, I don't know, you know, everyone loves music, I guess. (laughs) I think they do. Um, And I really like storytelling is what I've discovered, the arts. I'm pretty passionate about the arts in general. And just being able to share your story, it's so therapeutic, even if you write something and you never really Mm -hmm. intend to perform that or present that in any way. So um I started writing lyrics in high school and um it wasn't really something that you could really do that much back then it wasn't like being an artist it wasn't really
0: No it's never considered um in in many families it's never considered oh, that's a great choice yeah, for a good career good on you going gonna... like, to make a lot of <laughs> money out of that one Yeah
1: um yeah so and I've just sort of kept at it did a lot did a bit of performing here and there and then some the workshops is kind of you know, created sort of a new area to to sort of focus on my interests in mm-hmm. in terms of music and then um, just wanting to produce music for others. That's really where I'm at now. I'm really wanting to produce for the next generation of artists. So um, that's
0: more your passion than performing now?
1: Yeah, I think so. It, it's so hard with a family to perform and people don't realise yeah. how much goes into a performance. You know, you, like for instance, someone might say, oh, here's here's a $1,000 for you to perform. And that's just for the day or whatever. And, but, you know, it could be weeks of rehearsals and things that you put into and just trying to organise the other members to that you're going to have in that performance. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into
0: it. I don't think anyone listening will argue the fact that our artists are completely underpaid. <sighs> um, you know, like a $1,000 is sometimes for the six people, right?
1: Exactly. You have to split it between everyone. And they've had like 10 rehearsals or yeah. something, you know, um, trying just to work out.
0: Art just isn't valued as it should be. Yeah, it's just it's not.
1: different, especially these days with it where the access um, has changed in terms of the internet and what that's done. You know, people are streaming music and not buying albums as much and they film everything on their phone. Even when they come to an event, they're, they're watching it through their phone <laughs> yeah. while they're recording it, you know. It's a bizarre time.
0: It is a bizarre time, isn't it? You know, there mm. was a time when that you just you can't do that. You can't film me. It. It's my stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, that's weird. It's hard. Um, so if I asked you to then, because you like hip hop, right? I, yeah,
1: mostly hip hop, yeah. soul, soul music, um, R&B type vibes, jazz, a bit of jazz. They all kind of have inspired each other in some way, I guess.
0: So if I asked you to um, give us a few beats right now.
1: Oh, damn, you put me on the spot. <laughs> could you? Well, I could, probably could. I could do, since we've been talking about the um, Percy Suey story and uh, Black Anzacs, I could do a few bars from a song that I wrote about that, I guess, would be fitting. Do that. I just need to quickly remember. (laughs) Okay, so. Australia's history is back to horn us. It's not the pretty history these teachers taught us. It's a tale of genocide, war and torture. They glamorise the facts of gammon law and order Zach's praised for the land they fought for. Black Anzacs came back facing all sorts. And of course, they didn't give them recognition. No accolades, parades, marched them back to the list mission. Listen, my people fought, but I'll tell you what the difference is. Black fellas came back, second class citizens, good for the war, but now you're treated as less when they're handing them rations while they're handing them pensions. I think I better stop there before I forget. That's no, great. I'm sort Hang of on. struggling. A we'll
0: big applause there. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can check that song. It's on YouTube somewhere. Black Thanks, Anzacs. Michael.
0: We'll yeah. look for it. It's a song mm. Black Anzacs. Okay, Black awesome. Anzacs, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank, thank. you for doing that. That's. that's... No, no worries. <laughs> I
1: was thinking. Man, I hope I don't bugger this up.
0: <laughs> How am I going to remember this? Yeah, yeah. What's What's next on the horizon for you? What do you got coming up? What are new projects?
1: Well, uh, uh, the project that I'm mostly excited about is an actual theatre production that I'm pitching to Norpa here on the North Coast. It's, um, I've for my major project in my degree, I developed a short piece of that focused on um, Aboriginal deaths in custody and I've composed the underscore, I've written a song and um, narrated a story that I'll be pitching to Norpa soon, very soon and hopefully we can go and get some funds and make that happen. I'm pretty excited because it's a whole new space, theatre. I never thought that I would ever sort of try and venture into that space. So, it's cool.
0: I don't think that. Um, I think the world is still your oyster, and that nothing is really stopping you. Oh,
1: you're too kind.
0: No, it's not. Every time, <laughs> when when just before we started, you were saying, "Yeah, I might. Do- yeah, it's got an idea for a documentary. I'd really like to get yeah, into that." Yeah, I do. So you just like, yeah. I
1: give anything a go, really.
0: Yeah, why not? Well, life <laughs> yeah. is life is short. Yeah. You're um you're doing great work. I um, appreciate that. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, you're doing really wonderful work. I think um yeah you have a you have a lot to be proud of.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you. You know, I think um uh, my my elders and my grandparents have been super inspirational to me in my life and have shaped me. And I just hope that I can have the same impact on my kids and their kids. So yeah, got to do got to do your thing.
0: I think you will. Thank you. <laughs> thank Thanks you. so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Wow, it's so rare to meet somebody today who displays genuine modesty, right? But you can hear it in Michael. He's the real deal. He barely scratched the surface of the many-layered stories of our First Nations people. But here's my key takeouts. The first, and this really applies to all of us, never underestimate how much your belief in someone can help shape them and help keep them going. Secondly, Ditch mainstream media news when it comes to headlines on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Instead, learn more yourself in order to understand why the stats paint such a poor image of indigenous people. And thirdly, if you want to hear a blackfella story, make sure you hear it from a blackfella. If you're interested in learning more, uh, what I'm going to do is add a bunch of books, podcasts and docos in the show notes. These are resources that I've used so far in my journey to help me understand the complexities of the planet's oldest people. And if you'd like to know more about me and the work that I do, head to lynnscanella.com.au. Please follow me on Instagram as lynnscanellafruit because my following is really sad. And if you're feeling really nice and warm, head over to Apple Podcasts right now and follow the prompts to leave a review. Super grateful. Each podcast is recorded and produced on Bunjalung Country and edited by Darian Warner on Wadjuk Country. Thanks for listening, you lovely bunch. Be kind to each other and remember, respect, connect and thrive. I'm Lynne Scanella and this has been Fruitful Conversations.